Well, hey, everybody, I'm Adam Shell, the pastor at Melbourne Heights, and welcome to our sermon podcast. And in this episode of our podcast, we are continuing on in our sermon series called No Easy Answers, where we're exploring some of life's hardest questions, like why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there pain and suffering at all? Why does God allow it? Now, even though there are no easy answers to any of these questions, there are some bad ones. And we're going to be digging deeper into some of those bad answers today and trying to find a new way forward. So let's get right into this episode sermon. So last week at Melbourne Heights, we started wrestling with some hard questions. But these questions aren't just hard for us because we are people of faith, followers of Jesus. These are hard questions that people all around the world have been wrestling with for thousands upon thousands of years. Questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there pain and suffering in this world at all? Why does God allow pain and suffering to exist? Where is God when it hurts? And last week, we saw that there aren't any easy answers to any of these questions. There are no easy answers to life's hardest questions. There just aren't. There are no easy answers to life's hardest questions. But that doesn't mean that these questions should be avoided altogether. And these questions shouldn't be avoided because these questions are real questions. These are authentic questions. These are the kind of questions that we ask whenever we're experiencing pain in our lives. These are the kind of questions that we ask whenever our family members or friends or people we know and love are experiencing pain and suffering in our lives. So we need to ask these questions. We need to ask these questions because every single one of us experiences pain and suffering in our lives. Every one of us has had to attend a funeral for someone that we love. Every one of us has sat by a bedside of somebody that we love when they were suffering and in pain in a hospital room. Every one of us has stubbed our toe or bit our tongue or twisted our ankle or gotten the flu. Every one of us has had bad things happen to us. And that means that whether we want to admit it or not, every one of us has wondered why. Why is there pain and suffering in this world? Why does God allow it? But these aren't just questions that we're wrestling with in some abstract or theoretical way. These are questions that we want to find personal and practical solutions to. So at the end of our time together last week, I told you a story. It's a real story about a real person who was experiencing real pain in her life. And all she wanted was to find a little bit of comfort and a little perspective on everything that she was going through. So let me remind you of her story, as Philip Yancey tells it in his book, Where is God When It Hurts? Here's what Philip Yancey writes. It says, One day I received a frantic plea for help from my close friends John and Claudia Claxton. They were newlyweds in their early 20s, and they were just beginning their life together. I had watched in amazement at the experience of romantic love and how it utterly transformed my friend John. Two years of engagement to Claudia melted his cynicism and it softened his hard edges. He became an optimist, and now his letters to me were usually bubbly with enthusiasm about his young marriage. But one letter from John alarmed me as soon as I opened it up. Errors and scratches marred his usually neat handwriting. He explained, excuse my writing, I guess it shows that I'm fumbling for words. 
I don't know exactly what to say. The Claxton's young marriage had run into a roadblock that was bigger than either of them. Claudia had been diagnosed with Hodgkin's disease, which is cancer of the lymph glands, and she was only given a 50% chance to live. Within a week of her diagnosis, surgeons had cut her from armpit to belly, removing every visible trace of the disease. She was left stunned and weak, lying in a hospital bed. Yancey goes on to write, Claudia had hoped that Christian visitors would comfort her by bringing some perspective on what she was going through. Now, after I told you this story last Sunday, I asked you to imagine that you are one of Claudia's friends. I asked you to imagine that you went to visit her while she was in that hospital room battling Hodgkin's disease. And I asked you to think about what you would say to try to give her a little bit of comfort and bring her some perspective on everything that she was going through. Now, I'll be completely honest with you today. I don't know how you would respond to someone in Claudia's situation. I don't know what the two of you would have talked about if you went and visited with her in her hospital room. I don't know what words of comfort you would have tried to offer her during your visit. But I do know what Claudia's actual visitor said to her when they came to visit with her. I do know the words of comfort that they tried to speak to her. And I do know that everyone that visited her essentially told her one of two things. They either told Claudia that she was responsible for the pain that she was suffering, or they told her that God is responsible for what she's going through. Let me show you what I mean. One of the first people that comes and visits with Claudia is a deacon inside of her church. And Philip Yancey tells us what this deacon said to Claudia as he visited with her. So here's what this deacon said. He said, surely something in your life must displease God. Somewhere you must have stepped out of God's will. These things don't just happen. God uses circumstances to warn us and to punish us. So what is God telling you? Can you believe what that deacon said when he went and visited with Claudia? He flat out blames her for everything that she's going through. He tells her that she has done something where she has stepped out of God's will for her, and now she is being punished because of it. The nerve of some people, right? But it doesn't stop there. Philip Yancey goes on to tell us that another woman dropped by, a faithful follower of television faith healers. Exuding confidence, she assured Claudia that healing was her only escape. When Claudia told her about the deacon's advice, this woman nearly exploded. Sickness is never God's will, she exclaimed. Haven't you read the Bible? The devil stalks us like a roaring lion, but God will deliver you if you can muster up enough faith to believe you'll be healed. Remember, Claudia, faith can move mountains and that Hodgkin's disease. Simply name your promise in faith and then claim the victory. Now, this woman isn't quite as blunt as the deacon who came and visited Claudia and flat out blamed her for what she was experiencing because she had strayed from the will of God. But this woman is telling Claudia the exact same thing. She tells Claudia that if she just has enough faith that God will heal her, so since she has not been healed, since she is still suffering, that means that Claudia doesn't have enough faith. So it's her fault that she's still suffering. But like I told you just a minute ago, blame.
blaming Claudia, saying that it's Claudia's fault that she's experiencing suffering is only one way that people responded to her and the pain that she found herself in. There were plenty of other visitors who came and made it perfectly clear to Claudia that God was the one who was responsible for everything that she was going through. Like when Philip Yancey tells us that perhaps the most spiritual woman in Claudia's church brought along some books about praising God for everything that happens. Claudia, you need to come to the place where you can say, God, I love you for making me suffer like this. It is your will, and you know what's best for me. And I praise you for loving me enough to allow me to experience this. In all things, including this, I give thanks. So this woman, the most spiritual woman in Claudia's church, she flat out says that God is the one who is responsible for everything that Claudia is suffering. But we don't have to stop there. Because Philip Yancey tells us about Claudia's last visitor. says another visitor, Claudia's pastor, made her feel like she was on a select mission. He said, Claudia, you have been appointed to suffer for Christ and he will reward you. God chose you because of your great strength and integrity, just as he chose Job. And he is using you as an example to others. Their faith may increase because of your response. You should feel privileged. Not bitter. What we see as adversity, God sees as opportunity. He told her to think of herself like a track star and to view the adversity that she was facing as a series of hurdles that she would need to leap over on the way to the victory circle. Now, when you first listen to what her pastor tells her, it doesn't sound that bad. I mean, it kind of makes Claudia sound like she's some kind of secret agent, like she's James Bond. And she's been given a special mission because she's the only one who has the skills needed to accomplish it. But when you stop and you think about what the pastor actually says to her, he says the exact same thing that the most spiritual woman in Claudia's church said. The pastor says that God is responsible for what you're going through. Now, I'll be perfectly honest here. I don't know Claudia Claxton, and I don't know any of the people who went and visited her when she was in her hospital room battling Hodgkin's disease. But I am also, I can also tell you, I am not the least bit surprised by what any of Claudia's visitors have said to her. And that's because we have been responding to the problem of pain and suffering this exact same way for a long, long time. Whenever there is suffering, we have either blamed it on God or we blamed it on the person who's suffering. Whenever there is suffering, we have either blamed it on God or we have blamed it on the person who is suffering. And we've been doing this practically from the beginning. I can even show you what I mean. If you've got a Bible, you can turn with me to the book of Job. And we're going to start looking in Job chapter 4, but we'll bounce around the book of Job as we go along this morning. And as you're finding Job chapter 4, let me give you just a little bit more information about this book. Now, many scholars believe that the book of Job is the first book in the Bible that was actually written down. And they believe that in part because this book is addressing these hard questions that people have been asking from the beginning of time. So in the book of Job, we meet a guy who unsurprisingly is named Job. And Job is an upright and he is a righteous man. But the devil wants to find out. If Job truly loves God, or if Job just loves the good things that God does for him. So the devil starts taking away all of the blessings that Job has ever received in life. 
So Job, he loses all of his possessions. And then Job loses his livelihood. Then Job loses his children. And finally, Job loses his own health. And just like Claudia Claxton, Job has friends that come and visit with him to try to bring him a little bit of comfort and offer him some perspective on what he's going through. And we meet one of these friends in Job chapter 4. In Job 4, chapter 4, we meet his friend Eliphaz. And I want to show you what Eliphaz has to say to Job, starting in verse 7. Here's what he says. He says, Think, what innocent person has ever been punished? When have those who do the right thing been destroyed? As I've observed it, those who plow sin and sow trouble will harvest it. So Eliphaz makes it perfectly clear that Job is the one who is responsible for what he's been suffering. He says, those who plow sin and sow trouble will harvest it. But this isn't the only reaction that Job gets. When we continue on, in Job chapter 8, we meet another one of his friends named Bildad. And in Job 8, verses 5 through 8, this is what Bildad says to him. He says, If you will search eagerly for God, plead with the Almighty. If you are pure and do the right things, then surely he will become active on your behalf and reward your innocent dwelling. Although your former state was ordinary, your future will be extraordinary. So Bildad tells Job the opposite of what Eliphaz does. Bildad says that that God is causing Job's suffering to take Job from a place where he is ordinary to a place where he will become extraordinary. And we keep seeing Job's friends going back and forth with his logic. In Job chapter 11, we meet another one of his friends, this one named Zophar. And Zophar tells Job that he will be healed if he just has enough faith. So again, it's Job's fault that he's suffering. He doesn't have enough faith to take it away. In Job chapter 15, we have Eliphaz speaking up again. And Eliphaz says once again that bad things only happen to bad people. Finally, in Job chapter 18, we run into Bildad one more time. And this time, Bildad sings a little bit of a different song, saying that, Bad people will always reap what they sow. So time and time again throughout the book of Job, we see his friends telling him those same two things that Claudia Claxton's friends told her. They keep telling Job that either Job is responsible for everything that he's been suffering, or that God is the one who's responsible for everything that Job has been going through. But one of my favorite things about the book of Job is that Job's friends don't get the final say. Job's friends don't get the final word on the subject. God is the one who gets the final say on the subject. So we're going to look at what Job, what God has to tell Job. But before we look at what God says to Job, I want to show you what God says to Job's friends. So you can flip over um, to Job chapter 42 with me, and I'll show you what God says to them in verse 7. This is what he says. After the Lord had spoken these words to Job, he said to Eliphaz from Teman, I'm angry at you and your two friends because you haven't spoken about me correctly, as did my servant Job. Now remember what Job's friends have been saying up to this point. They've either been blaming God or they've been blaming Job for his suffering. But in this verse, Job, God flat out tells them that they've got it wrong. He says, Eliphaz, you have it wrong, and you've had it wrong the whole time. I'm not responsible for Job's suffering, and Job is not responsible for suffering. So, of course, that leaves us with the question, 
and who is responsible for what Job has been going through. I mean, this is what Job has been trying to find out from the very beginning of this book. He's been asking, why do all of these bad things keep happening to me, a righteous man, someone who is right with God? Well, now let's look and see what God actually says to Job, how God responds to the hard questions that Job has been asking. This time we'll be looking in Job chapter 38. We'll start reading at verse 1. So here's how God responds. It says, And now finally God answered Job from the eye of a violent storm. He said, Why do you confuse the issue? Why do you talk without knowing what you're talking about? Pull yourself together, Job. Up on your feet, stand tall, because I have some questions for you, and I want straight answers. Where were you when I created the earth? Tell me, since you know so much. Who decided on its size? Certainly you'll know that. Who came up with the blueprints and the measurements? How was its foundation poured? Who set the cornerstone while the morning star sang in chorus and the angel shouted praise? And who took charge of the ocean when it gushed forth like a baby from the womb? That was me. I wrapped it in soft clouds and tucked it in safely at night. Then I made a playpen for it, a strong playpen so it couldn't run loose, and said, Stay here. This is your place. Your wild tantrums are confined to this place. And have you ever ordered morning? Get up and told Don, get to work, so you could seize earth like a blanket and shake out the wicked like cockroaches. As the sun brings everything to light, brings out all the colors and shapes, the cover of darkness is snatched from the wicked. They're caught in the very act. Have you ever gotten to the true bottom of things? Explored the labyrinth caves and deep ocean? Do you know the first thing about death? Do you have one clue regarding death's dark mysteries? Do you have any idea how large this earth is? Speak up if you have even the beginning of an answer. Now the book of Job continues on like this for the next couple of chapters. And believe me, those chapters, they are well worth reading. We just don't have enough time to dig into them this morning. So at some point when you've got some time, I'd encourage you to go and read all of Job's chapter 38 through 41 to see God's response to Job. It's well worth your time. But even in the 18 verses that we just read this morning, you can already see the point that God is making to Job. Job has been asking God some really hard questions. And God essentially says to Job, Job, there are so many things in this world that you just can't even begin to understand. Just like you can't fathom what it was like when I created the heavens and the earth. Just like you cannot begin to comprehend why the tides only rise so high, or why the sun rises and falls when it does, or any of death's dark mysteries, Job. You're never going to be able to understand the answers to the questions that you're asking. God tells Job, there just aren't any easy answers to life's hardest questions. But God doesn't stop there. And God doesn't stop there because if God stopped with that, then we have absolutely no hope when we face pain and suffering in our lives. If we find out that bad things are just always going to happen to good people and that good things will continue to happen to bad people. If we find out that the righteous are going to suffer while the wicked prosper. If we find out that pain and suffering is just part of the world and we're never going to be able to understand why, then we all become inclined to resign ourselves to the suffering. 
And we become inclined to resign ourselves to this kind of suffering because we know there's nothing that we can do about it. So we say, bad things happen to good people. We say that good things will happen to bad people. We say that the, right, that the righteous will suffer and the wicked will prosper. We say that pain and suffering is just part of the world around us. We resign ourselves to this problem because there's nothing we can do, so we might as well just accept it. But God doesn't leave us there. God doesn't leave us resigned to the suffering that's all around us. The verses that we just read, God also gives us hope. Because in the same breath when God is asking Job, if Job was there when he created the heavens and the earth, God's not just asking Job if Job was present for this. God is reminding Job that God is the one who created the heavens and the earth. And even when God is asking Job if he has any control over creation at all, God's not just pointing out the fact that Job can't control anything in creation. He's also showing Job that God is in control over all creation. So while Job is wrestling with life's hardest questions and trying to figure out how to respond to the pain and suffering in his life, God shows Job that God knows the answers to all the questions Job is asking. And God can also do something about all the pain that he's suffering. So how does Job respond to everything that God says to him? I've got one more passage that we're going to look at this morning. This one comes from Job 42. So this is what Job says to God, starting in verse 2. He says, I know you can do anything. No plans of yours can be opposed successfully. You said, who is this darkening counsel without knowledge? I have even spoken about things I didn't understand. Wonders beyond my comprehension. You said, listen, and I will speak. I will question you, and you will inform me. My ears had heard about you, but my eyes have seen you. Therefore, I relent and find comfort. So what Job tells God, how Job responds to God, is he says, God, I'm going to relent from asking these questions of why. I'm going to relent from asking these questions of why. Because I found comfort in the fact that God is in control even when we are not. God's in control even when we're not. And this is the point that all of us have to reach when it comes to dealing with the problem of pain and suffering around us. We have to reach a point where we can accept the fact that there are no easy answers to life's hardest questions. We have to accept the fact that we are never going to have a sufficient answer to why bad things happen to good people. We have to accept the fact that we are never going to have a sufficient answer to questions like, why is there pain and suffering in this world at all? We have to accept the fact that we are never going to have a good enough answer that it will take away the pain that we're experiencing, the hurt that we have in our lives. But what we do have, What we do have is a God that can answer those questions. A God that knows the answer to every question we ask. We also have a God who is capable of taking away all of our hurt. So, if we're going to face the problem of pain and suffering, we have to stop blaming ourselves and our God for it. 
If we're going to face the problem of pain and suffering, then we have to stop blaming ourselves and our God for it. We have to reach a point where we accept the fact that there are no easy answers to life's hardest questions, and there are some things that we are just never going to understand. So as we continue on in the sermon series, we're going to not approach the problem of pain and suffering with the discussions that people have been having from the beginning of time. Instead, what we want to do is we want to try to find a new way forward. We want to find a new path forward where we relent from asking the questions of why, and instead we try to find an answer that helps us as we experience pain and suffering in our lives and gives us a way that we can help other people when they're experiencing pain and suffering in their lives as well. But it starts by learning from Job. It starts with understanding the same thing that Job came to understand. Understanding that there are some questions that are beyond our comprehension. And we've got to let those questions go. And instead, we have to trust God to be in control. So next week, when we come together, we're going to start finding this new way forward. And we're going to specifically be talking about what pain is, where pain comes from, and the purpose that pain has in our lives. But for this week, the point that we all need to come to is the same point that Job reached. We have to understand that the questions of why cannot be answered. So we have to stop asking those questions. And instead, we have to put our trust in God. God who created the heavens and the earth, the God who is still in control over all creation. And if we do that, we can start moving forward together. Let's pray together. God, as we come to you in this time of prayer, we are thankful for the story of Job. God, every one of us has experienced pain and suffering in our lives, although Almost none of us have experienced anything to the magnitude that Job went through. He lost everything, from his possessions to his livelihood, to his children, to his own health. But Job continued to love you, God. He continued to ask hard questions. He continued to work out his salvation with fear and trembling. And God, you spoke to him. You spoke to him and made it clear that there are some things that we as human beings just are never going to be able to understand. Some questions that we can't comprehend the answers to. But you helped Job see that even though we can't answer all of life's questions, you know those answers. And even though we're not in control of the pain and suffering that happens all around us, you are the one that's in control over all creation. So help us to trust in you the same way that Job did. Help us to let go of the questions of why so that we can find real answers that make a difference. Real answers that have a practical and a a personal implication in our lives, God. That's what we need. We pray it all in Jesus' name. Well, hey, it's Adam again, and I just want to thank you for tuning in to this episode of our sermon podcast. And I hope that this episode has challenged you to relent from asking those questions of why and instead trust God because God created the heavens and the earth. God knows the answers to all of our questions, and God is the only one who can really do something about all the pain and suffering we see in the world around us. 
Well, in our next episode, we're going to start trying to find that new path forward together. And specifically, we're going to be thinking about what pain is, where it comes from, and the purpose it has in our lives. So I hope that you'll come back and join us when our next episode drops. As always, if you subscribe to our podcast, that episode will be sent straight to your favorite podcasting app, and you don't have to wait till next Tuesday. You can also come and worship with us every Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. Eastern Time on our church's website at mhbclouisville.com slash live. We'd love to have you join us. Well, until next time, I hope that you have a great week. I will be praying for you, and we'll see you back here soon for another sermon podcast.